there. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Um, let me open this in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these guys. and Thank you for the opportunity to come in here and just talk junk, talk stuff, uh, get our minds off uh, just kind of the worries and the, and the cares of the world. And so, God, over the next couple of moments, let us uh, focus in on your word and uh, your will for our life as we continue to talk about uh, five, uh, the five pillars of what it means uh, to be a man. Uh, in your kingdom and in your work and in our families, in our communities, in our lives. And so, God, uh, I pray that we would open our minds, our hearts, our spirits to listen to what you say. And, God, as we look today at the, the idea and the topic of being strong in our faith and being strong for our families and being strong for, um, uh, for the Lord and strong for our church, God, I pray that uh, just we would take these ideas uh, and not let them just uh, fly over our heads as ones we acknowledge as truth, but we would take them and we'd allow them to be embedded in our hearts that we would honestly examine who we are and where we are and what we're doing in our own lives. And if there are seasons or ways in our life that we are shrinking back and we're not standing strong in our faith, uh, God, that we would make a determination and a decision uh, to say um, not anymore, uh, that I'm going to be strong from here on out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, as we uh, look back and go back, if you remember, we're looking at the five pillars of uh, biblical manhood, and they come from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. If you're new, uh, hopefully you've begun to memorize that. It's pretty easy. It's uh, uh, Verse 14 is just uh, one phrase, but there, there are really five simple phrases in those two verses. And here's what it says. He says, be on your guard. That's number one. And we looked at that pillar. Stand firm in your faith. That's pillar number two, uh, five uh, pillars of biblical manhood. Pillar number three was be courageous. We looked at that the last two weeks. Today we're going to look at, uh, today and next week we're going to look at the idea of being strong and then the final two sessions we're going to look at this idea and do everything we do in love. And so it's okay to be a man who is strong and courageous and bold and firm, but also we can wrap all of that in love. Uh, and a lot of times we, um, in modern in modern today and modern psychology and modern ideas uh, uh, that a lot of times uh, we think these ideas are mutually exclusive. You can't be a man and love. You can't be strong and love. You can't be courageous and love. You can't uh, be, uh, be a man ultimately in love. I heard, and I, I didn't read the whole story, but uh, that uh, I think it's University of Texas at Austin has uh, now come out and said, at least in the psychology department, that they're going to begin to treat masculinity as a psychological disorder. They're going to begin to talk about it in such a way. I don't know if you read that or heard that. And I haven't taken the class, by the way, uh, and I certainly didn't write the curriculum. I'm sure I'd love to rewrite it. But, you know, the truth is, guys, God created us the way he created us. He created us with tes testosterone. He created us with muscles. Uh, he created physiologically. Uh, we are stronger than ladies, and that's an acknowledgment. That's a reality. That's how God created us. It doesn't make us better because if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, it says God created them male and female, and he blessed them both. Man, there are some things that if you, you put me and my wife uh, up in certain areas and certain spaces, there are certain areas and certain things that she could just wear me out in. She's just built that way. Her DNA is wrapped up in uh, her, the way she thinks. Uh, she's, she far surpassed us. 
uh, any of the greatness I could have in those areas. But also you take other areas where God has created me and put me together, and, and, and I far surpass her in several areas. And some of those areas uh, are in the idea of being strong and being courageous uh, and standing firm. That's just how God built us. We don't need to shrink back from that. And so uh, as we move towards doing everything in love, it's not I do everything in love instead of being on my guard, instead of standing firm in my faith, instead of being courageous, and instead of being strong. No, I do all of those, but I do them in and with a heart and a mindset and an attitude of love. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about being strong. If you are kind of new, here's kind of what I've been doing in each one of these, week one, I'm going to look at some folks, uh, I look at some examples uh, in Scripture of those who failed miserably to do what we're talking about, that pillar. And then we come back the next week and I look at some guys that had some sweet victory. Now, the beauty is, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, sometimes some of the same people that, that failed at one point in their life are the ones that succeeded later in life. And so as we go through these, I want to encourage you with that. If you look at your life and you think, uh, going back a couple of weeks, if there have been seasons in your life that you haven't stood firm, I want to tell you that doesn't leave you in a state of hopelessness. That just leaves you in a state of humanity. That with God's power and God's spirit, there is a season that God is going to offer you an opportunity to get back in play. Uh, to get back on the field, to be able to stand firm in your faith again. And so that's the whole idea of, of I want to look at epic failures. I don't always, we don't always just want to look at, at the guy or the dude uh, or the people in Scripture that did it perfectly. We want to be able to look at those ideas and spaces and areas where someone failed and then they recovered. Someone, 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 someone lacked courage, but then later when they lacked courage, and we're going to see some of those guys uh, today. And some of the guys that we're going to look at today who failed miserably in being strong, you're going to know. You're going to immediately know. And so let's look at this. He says, be strong. That's pillar number four. Here's the definition. If you go to dictionary.com, I did this. Uh, I didn't look any harder than that for you all because, you know, it's 6 a.m. Here's what the definition. Physically, and then just some categories of what it means to be strong, to strong. Uh, It says, physically, having having or showing uh, the ability to to show great bodily or muscular power. That's, what, that's the first definition of being strong physically. In other words, you are physically vigorous or robust. There's nothing wrong with being a man who is physically vigorous or robust. Mentally, the idea if we're going to be mentally strong, it means to be mentally powerful or mentally able to stand your ground or think well. Uh, when it comes to morally, there is an idea of being strong. Uh, it, means of, it, it means having great moral power firmness, or courage. In other words, when the morality of the world is going, uh, uh, going the wrong way, that we would be able to stand mentally and morally strong as men and say, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that in my house. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that in my mind. I'm not going to talk that way. Everybody else may talk that way. They may be around me. I can hang around these people. But I'm going to stand morally, and I'm going to be strong. So my encouragement to you guys is be morally strong, be physically strong, be mentally strong. And then the next one is one related to our convictions. There is a way in our convictions that we have, the way we want to live life and the way we want to uh, love our wives and love our kids and lead our kids and work at the office that we need to have strong 
strong convictions. And that means to decisive, to being strong means to be decisively unyielding, firm, and uncompromising. That's in our convictions. Decisively firm. And I'm making a decision that I'm not going to back away from this. And I, I love that idea that, man, guys, we need to have convictions that we decide we are not giving up on this. Even when the world changes, even when others change, even when people change around me, that this is a conviction that I have. This is a personal conviction or a biblical conviction that I have that this is right. And I don't care what the whole world. When I was growing up, I remember, I, I don't know if we use this analogy anymore because, um, you know, but I remember my dad used to say when I was kind of giving excuses as to why I'd done something wrong, anybody else's dad say, well, if all of your friends jumped off a bridge... Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, you know, I lived in Spring, Texas. We didn't have bridges. We had creeks, all right? You drove through our creeks in Spring, Texas. But I was like, apparently, he's talking about the, the San Francisco Bridge, the Golden, you know, Golden Gate Bridge. I, I don't know. He, we didn't have them down in Houston. There weren't really bridges down here. But he had that in his idea. If all your other friends jumped off a bridge, would you go? Well, the reality of it is we didn't have bridges in Spring, but chances are if my friends jumped off one, I was in, I was in right? So I totally knew what he was talking about. But I hated that. But we got to have some convictions. If everybody else jumps off a biblical conviction or a family conviction, then that doesn't mean I have to go with them. And then finally, uh, we have to be strong in our self-control, the ability to control our own lust and our own desires. And here's what it says. Having powerful means to resist an attack or an assault or some sort of aggression. What is that? that? That means that we need to have some self-control. Man, it's, uh, it's the idea of being willing to say no. And when Satan attacks you, that we as men better be strong. And here's what I know, guys. There's not a guy that's perfect in this room, but there's also not a guy that's the same. That there are certain guys that have certain areas and certain spaces and certain sins that when it comes time, for Satan to lure you away, he knows he goes after that area. Does that make sense? And some guys, it's anger. It's explosive anger. It's a bitterness. Some guys, it's some sin. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's some, uh, you know, I, I need to look at something. I need to see something that pleases my flesh. I need to, I need to put something in my body that will, that will numb me. And guess what? Satan knows how to go there. And we have to have the ability and the fortitude to stand strong when those seasons of attack come. And so I want you to think about it, man. When we talk about being strong, it's physical, but it's more than physical. It's mental. It's moral. It's our convictions. And it's also our self-control so that we won't lead ourselves away. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, uh, being strong is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every other virtue at the testing point. Did you get that? It's not just one of the virtues. It's the form of every virtue at the testing point. Hey, we're all strong when I'm, when I'm in a group like this, right? When, 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 when it comes to me, me morally or physically or spiritually or whatever, we're strong when things are put together in our life and things with my wife are good and things with my kids are good and, man, I'm rolling in the dough and I seem to get promoted in the office and everything's good. When do we have a tendency to be the most weak? Is when I'm by myself, when no one can see, no one can look, no one knows what I'm thinking about. And the truth is, 
I know I can go to a space I've gone before and get a pleasure, get some pleasure. You know, do you understand what I'm talking about? Man, and that's when we really have to stand strong at the testing point. Sometimes the testing point for us as God, as men, we got to be reminded, you know, being strong in our faith is pretty easy to do right here. It's when I'm alone. It's when I'm struggling. It's when I get a little discouraged. It's when the, the sun goes down. That's when we have to be willing to be strong. It's the moment of testing. And so today we're going to look at some guys that you will know. You will know from God's Word and you will know from Jesus and the New Testament and what they did in the New Testament church. But when it came time for them to be tested, they had an epic fail. And so today we're going to look at these guys and, and really the guys we're looking at are three guys that you'll know, Peter, James, and John. Peter, we know Peter, man, man, man just, just love him. He is all out. He is all testosterone. He is, man, let me get in the middle of the fight. That's Peter. But we're also going to see where Peter fell. James and, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, brothers uh, who Jesus called. They were called sons of thunder. Uh, remember, those were the two guys that uh, showed up to Jesus with their mom and said, hey, can one of my sons sit on your right hand and one of my sons sit on your left hand? I mean, these, these and you know what, what? What do we know about these three guys Somebody tell me, what do we know about these three guys when it comes to all the other disciples? They were Jesus' inner circle. Jesus had the disciples, but let me tell you what, when Jesus went off to pray, when Jesus had incredible need, these were the dudes that were the closest to him. These were his inner, inner circle. And they failed not only themselves, but they failed Jesus. And so, guys, at the very least here, we are part of the disciples of Jesus. Everybody in this room has been chosen and called by God. I'm assuming if salvation, if, if salvation, if you've not been saved yet, let's stick around. You got me, you got Scott, you got Justin. Let's get you in, at least make you part of the disciples. There are some here, probably because of your, your, your faith and your walk and your journey, you are part of Christ's inner circle. But let me tell you what, just because you get part of Christ's inner circle doesn't mean you can't fail. One of the great discouragements I hear, and, and those of us who are in the ministry, is every time we hear of a minister that falls, that they would be one of Jesus' inner circle. I hate it when that happens. But guys, that, that, that's, that's, that's no reason to lose your faith because I don't care how close and how long an individual, a man or a woman, has been serving in the ministry. Guess what? They are still human. And they are still, they still have the potential to fail at the testing point. And so there will never come a time, guys, this side of the dirt, you understand what I'm talking about? This side of the dirt, that you won't be tested and you won't have the potential to fail. But the beauty of God's grace and God's love is as long, even after you've failed, as long as you are on this side of the dirt, there's always an opportunity for a comeback. So I don't know where you are in the felling process. If you're a long way away from your last big fell or you're just coming out of it or you're in the middle of it right now and no one knows about it but you. 
there's an opportunity to come back. And so let's, um, let's look at God's Word and think about the testing point. Epic fell. Peter, James, and John, uh, they were part of Jesus' uh, inner circle, all right? And so the first place I want to point out, and I want to go to Matthew chapter 26, if you want to jump down to verse 36, um, I want to talk to you about their spiritual weakness uh, in not staying alert uh, when they needed to. Not staying alert when they needed to. Uh, Peter, James, and John uh, fell asleep. And in Matthew chapter 26, uh, picking it up in verse 36, Jesus has already uh, instituted the Lord's Supper. He's been in the upper room. Uh, with his disciples. Uh, he's told them that my time has now come. Now he's going to take his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane, all right? Then after he takes his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he, he, he sets all the disciples there. Then he calls Peter, James, and John and takes them a little further into the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he sets them down and says, pray and be alert. And he goes, and I'm going to go a little further and pray and then I'm going to come back and check on you. Now, we, most of us at least know what happened. They fell asleep. They dozed off. Uh, it was not uncommon, particularly on the Passover night, for people to stay awake talking about God's redemption and God's grace and telling the oral tradition and the stories uh, of what had taken place all the way back to the Exodus and uh, through the Old Testament. They would tell them over and over again. So it wasn't uncommon for them to stay awake late, particularly on this night. But pick it up in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. If you're ever wondering, who are the two sons of the, James and John, all right, two sons of Zebedee, uh, his closest friends. These guys were his inner circle along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Man, uh, this was a sorrow and a trouble that these guys had never seen in Jesus before. The closest probably they'd ever come was, uh, would have been when Jesus was coming toward Jerusalem and he heard Lazarus had died, his friend. And it says Jesus wept. That meant he literally wept. Um, the, the next place, they might have even seen a glimpse of this, but not to this depth. Uh, even noted by the words that we're, that we're looking here, sorrowful and troubled. Boy, that, that has the idea uh, of that is a multiplying statement. When you put those two together in the original language, that means there's a multiplier there. It's not just he was sorrowful and he was a little bit troubled. It's almost a multiplier, you know, like a 10 to the 10th power, a 10 to the, to the 30th power. I mean, it was multiplied. This was something they saw in Jesus they had never seen before. They had seen Jesus weep when Lazarus uh, was dead, but pretty quickly raised Lazarus from the dead and everything was cool, right? Uh, but also remember, as Jesus journeyed in Jerusalem, they saw him weep. They saw him be a little troubled. What did he do? He looked up at Jerusalem and said, how much I've longed to gather you to myself. But because of the rebellion and disobedience, uh, he didn't get to do that. And so they saw a little bit of that troublesome time. But they had never seen anything like this. So imagine you're part of Jesus's inner circle. You've kind of heard him. You've known even in the Lord's Supper, he's just instituted. Uh, he says, man, uh, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, which is for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Now it's time for me to go. He looks at Judas and says, basically, go do what you already made a deal with the devil to do. He says, just go do it. All right. And so these guys are walking. Jesus drops the rest of the disciples off. 
okay? Uh, there are only 10 of them at this time. Uh, uh, Judas is gone. He's gone to do his deal uh, and to bring, uh, bring his adversaries back up to find Jesus. So there's 11 of them there. He drops eight of them off at a certain place and says, pray. Takes the three inner circle a little forward. As he's going a little further, they see that he is filled with sorrow and trouble, something they had never seen before. Now pick it up as we read on. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the very point of death. Stay here and keep watch for me. That keep watch is a word that we see. Uh, it would be a guard standing at the door, a guard standing at the gate. So here, um, Jesus' best three friends, his closest disciples, who see him and look at those words, sorrowful and troubled, he turns and looks at them in their eye and says, my soul is overwhelmed. Let me ask you a question. If you had a really good friend in this room, one we've joked about and we laughed at, you know, just what we do every, every morning, right? News we can use. We talk about sports. We talk about stuff. We talk about junk. We pick on each other. We slam each other. And all of a sudden, one of your guys at your table that you've been sitting at with the table forever, shows up, and he is just pouring his life out. He is quivering. And he says, man, I am sorrowful. I am troubled. I am overwhelmed. Would you sit right here at the door just while I go in here and I pray to God, would you stay right there at the door while I just step right in here and I begin to pray? How many of you would be willing to do that for that guy? Every one of us would say, man, I'm here. And what would we do? We would say, I'm here. I, as long as you need me to be here. I'm here. I'm for you, man. Dude, when I see everything that you've... Dude, you've walked on water. I've been in a boat when you've calmed a storm. I've, I've watched you make a blind man see, a lame man walk. I watched you take a few fish and a few loaves and feed everybody in the world. I watched you when you were baptized. I watched the Father say, this is my son in who I am well pleased. I watched you go and, 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 and just tell a man, I don't even need to go see your kid. Your kid's, your kid's been healed. I've seen you do all that stuff. And now all of a sudden you're looking in my eyes and you're telling me you're sorrowful and troubled and your soul is overwhelmed. And all you want me to do for you is sit here, keep watch. How many of you think we could do that? I think I could do that. I think I could do that. So did they. And that's part of the reason what's being asked of them is not overwhelming. It's not an undoable task. And the truth is, guys, in our lives and our ministries, um, what God asked you and me to do, 99.9999999% of the time, He doesn't ask you to walk on water. He just asks you to stay awake. He doesn't ask you to feed 5,000 with a few fish and a few loaves. He just says, stay awake. Guys, he didn't ask you to make the blind people see and the lame walk. He didn't make you walk. He didn't tell you to go over to somebody who's heard that their wife or, or their kids are, uh, have been stricken with cancer and heal them. Those are kind of undoable tasks that you definitely need. He, he just says, stay awake. 
And that's the only instruction. He says, be on your guard, stay awake, and watch with me. Like guards at the door. Now jump on. He says, going a little further, further, then Jesus fell on his faith on the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it is somehow possible in some way, may this cup pass and be taken from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Then he turned, uh, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. What an encouragement that was. Jesus had poured his life into these dudes for three years. His soul is more sorrowful, more troubled, more overwhelmed than it's ever been in his life. And all he asked him to do is, hey, stick right here and keep guard. And he comes back and they're out. All right, well, hey, everybody gets one. Remember, we talked a little bit about snooze alarm Sunday morning when we talked about guilt and, and forgiveness. So it says, then he returned to his disciples, found them asleep, and he says, hey, guys, couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? And he asked Peter. Yeah, and he asked Peter. He says, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, if you, if you didn't pick it up, it's in the English language and the original language. Jesus made a twist in the request. First request, he says, be on guard for me. Notice the twist. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fail. So Jesus turns it and he goes, how about this? If you couldn't stay awake for me, how about you stay awake for you? Does that make sense? He goes, so you don't fall prey. So in other words, Jesus says, listen, they're not going to stop with the Father has already willed in his heart that I am here for to be a sacrifice, be delivered into the hands of sinful men. So now pray and watch for you so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's kind of interesting. Jesus is no longer worried about himself. Now he's worried about them. Now let's continue to read. And he went, uh, so he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away from me uh, unless I drink it, uh, yet uh, not my will but yours be done. Verse 43. So when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them again. He said, hey, just sleep in, boys. Uh, he, so he left them and he went away once more and he prayed a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still resting? Man, they had, meant, they had missed the opportunity to pray for courage and to stand strong and to stay alert. He says, Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man has been delivered into the hands of the sinful men. Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. Now, remember what I said is they lacked strength when it was most needed. Let me ask you a question. What did they need to be praying when Jesus was praying for the Father's will? What did they need to be praying for? What did they need to be praying for? Huh? Vigilance? What else did they need to be praying for? Pick it up. What's about to happen in the story? They're about to need some strength, right? Cockadoodaloo, Peter, this is about to happen to you. You need to pray that you're strong. James and John, all the disciples are about to leave. I told you to watch and pray so that you would be prepared for the temptation when it comes. Guess what they did? They fell asleep. 
They let their guard down. Guess what? They all fail miserably in what is about to happen. So my encouragement to you guys is that we want to stay awake, be vigilant, and pray. And if you know the area and you know the space in your life that you are always tempted and you always fall prey and you always shrink back and you always fail, maybe it's with your wife or it's with something or with some other addiction or some other struggle or some other relationship, you need to be on your guard and you need to watch out and you need to pray. I love the way Jesus put this. Rise, the betrayer is coming. Now, you and I may not have a, have, a, have a Judas in our life, but we all have Satan in our life. I'm going to say that again. You and I might not have a Judas in our life, but we all have a Satan in our life. And what does Satan want to do? He wants to come and attack us at the point of our greatest weakness and take us out when we are unprepared. These guys were given the opportunity to be prepared for Jesus. They slept through it. They slept through it. So here's the second thought. Spiritual weakness is not uh, being there when it counts. Not only is spiritual weakness falling asleep when I should be praying that I was on my guard, but it's also spiritual weakness is not being there when it really counts. I mean, the truth is everything Jesus had done in his life up to this point, uh, he could have done without them, right? Right? About all they did were, were go collect some fish and loaves a couple of times, bring them back. Uh, they did go prepare an animal for him to ride into Jerusalem on. They did, I mean, but my guess is he could have figured out how to get that done on his own. How many of you understand that? It's not like they had contributed a lot to the ministry, right? They just kind of showed up, made Jesus' food, and celebrated all the power that he had, right? That's kind of what they did. But guess what? This is the time they, that Jesus, in his flesh, needs to be able to count on them, wanted them to pray for themselves, pray for him, and they fell asleep. So now, spiritual weakness is also there, not being there when it counts. Man, all the disciples uh, desert Jesus, every one of them. So as we pick it up and as we just jump down, Matthew, uh, go over to Mark chapter 14. I want to pick up the story reading there. Mark chapter 14, pick it up in verse 50. Mark chapter 14, verse 50. And so here's my question as we think about, are we on our guard? Here's the second thing. When Christ needs you, when your church needs you, when the staff needs you, when your family needs you, are you there when it counts? Are you there when it counts? Are you there when your friends need you? I hope so. And if you're not there when your church needs you, when your, when your friends need you, when your family needs you, then I'm, I'm going to say that's a mark of spiritual weakness. That's not being strong. But they ultimately weren't strong because they weren't on their guard beforehand. So let's pick it up, reading in verse 50. Hopefully all of you are there, Mark chapter 14. This says, says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. Jesus was alone. A young man wearing nothing but linen garment was following Jesus. Uh, when they seized him, he fled naked, uh, leaving the garment behind him. Now, let me, just, uh, let me just stop you there. There are a lot of people, some people think that was Mark's appearance in the gospel, the, one, the gospel writer of Mark. Mark right here, that's Mark kind of saying that was him. Others believe it was some other people. Uh, I think part of it, regardless of who it is, we really don't know who it is. Uh, church tradition gives a couple of different answers. Here's the reality. What it's saying is that everybody who was around Jesus and with Jesus fled so fast and were so scared that they were willing to leave their cloaks and everything. Let me, let me tell you what, these guys were buck naked trying to get, rid of, get away from Jesus. How many of you know what that means? 
In other words, they had dropped all ability to defend him or defend themselves. They were caught with their pants down. What does that mean? They weren't strong. They deserted Jesus. And so let's continue to read on. They took Jesus to the high priest and the chief priest uh, and the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Look at verse 54. Peter, he was the only one that even came close. Peter followed him at a distance. He wasn't ready. You remember Peter was said just a few minutes ago, said, hey, listen, if all these other disciples part and depart from you, I'm willing to fight and die. Remember? He, remember all that? Yeah, I'm going to, man, just, I'm going to roll my fist up. We'll go knuckle to knuckle. Man, I'll pull my sword out. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. Man, all these other guys, I'm looking around this room, Jesus, these disciples, not one of them looked like a fighter, but I'm your man. All right, all we get from Peter is he followed at a distance. He tried to hide. He didn't want to be seen. He was sleuthing around right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat, talking about Peter. Uh, he said, I'm in verse 54. He says, there he sat, and the guards uh, warmed himself. He sat with the guards and warmed himself with the fire. He, now what does he care? He cares more about his own comfort. My hands are cold. It's a little chilly. It's the middle of the night, late in the middle of the night. He goes, man, I've got to warm up a little bit. Look at verse 55. The chief priest and uh, the whole Sanhedrin were looking uh, for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. That's, got, that's how we should live, guys. We may not have lived this way up until now, but we should live a life where there's not just a trail of evidence of our brokenness and our sinfulness and uh, the pain that we've caused, not only those we love are closest, but we, we shouldn't have a trail of evidence. What an incredible testimony. But they could not find any. But many, many testified falsely, falsely against him, but even their statements did not agree. So it shouldn't shock us that some people are going to attack us. But here's the reality. Thought number one, when you have to be strong, it starts with being on your guard, praying about those specific areas of weakness that you know you already have. Next, being strong means I am there when it counts. But the disciples, even those who are in Jesus' inner circle, weren't there when it counted. Guys, we have to make a commitment in his heart. Let me tell you, we've got to make a commitment in our heart. I'm going to be there. When my family needs me, I'm going to be there when the church needs me. I'm going to be there when the staff needs me. I'm going to be there when my life group needs me. I'm going to be there when my friends, when my friends need me. I mean, part of the ministry is just being there. Does that make sense? Guys, if you're going to be strong, strong in your faith, there has to be a sense, I am there. I am there. I am there. Here's thought number three. Spiritual weakness is not being strong when I'm confronted about my faith. Spiritual weakness is not being confronted. It's not staying on my guard. Spiritual weakness is not staying on my guard. Spiritual weakness is not being there when it's counted. And spiritual weakness is not standing strong when confronted in my faith. And this is Peter himself. Jump over to Luke chapter 22. Let me show it to you real clearly. And I don't want you to be here, guys. We all know this story. This is, you know, sadly and 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 I guess goodly. Um, I'll make that word up. This is what Peter's known for. The denials. Isn't that what Peter's known for? I mean, that, isn't that what we all think about? I love the beauty of God's word. I love the beauty of God's word that He doesn't gloss over all of these twelve disciples. That these they were just masculine versions of Mother Teresa. 
They just had compassion and love and grace and everything they did and everything they said was right and they fully followed Jesus. Let me tell you what. If those were the 12 dudes that Jesus had chosen, none of us in this room have a chance. Jesus chose some flawed men, some screwed up guys, some dudes that failed him at the beginning and failed him at the end. How many of us are pretty good at failure? So we're in, right? Hey, we're even qualified to be in Jesus' inner circle. If you know how to drop the ball, if you know how to fall, if you know how to fail, if you know how to sin, if you know how to screw something up, you're in, all right? That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the disciples. And so here it is. Let's pick it up and read it. And I'm picking up in um, uh, verse 32. Uh, Jesus said, I prayed for you, uh, Simon, this is Jesus' warning, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now notice what he says. I pray that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you have turned back, but I know you're going to turn back, that you would strengthen your brothers. Look at verse 33. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Boy, he gives Jesus a salute. He says, I am your man. I'm, I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to go to death. I'm going to do all of those things. And Jesus answered him, looked in the eyes, said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Jesus warned Peter that you're overconfident. Jesus knew what was going to happen. When I told you to pray that you would stay on your guard, you're going to fall asleep. When I need you because uh, in times that it counted, you're, you're, you're going you're to walk away. He goes, but more importantly, when you are confronted face-to-face about your followership from me, you are going to deny it. You're going to show spiritual weakness. Pick it up reading in verse 54. It says, Then seizing him, they led him away. Talking about Jesus is back in another idea. Uh, and they took him to the high priest's house. Peter followed at a distance. Same idea. And when they were there, and they had kindled a fire in the middle of the uh, courtyard, uh, he had sat down together. Uh, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the, fire, uh, in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, uh, the, this man was with him, but Peter denied it and said, woman, I don't know, who, uh, I don't know him. Uh, he said, man, without thinking, guys, without thinking. For those who have to, have to leave, you can hear all of this online. Without thinking, he just knee-jerked. Does that make sense? I mean, he didn't plot his denial. It just happened. Anybody else? And there are times in our life when I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Just ask these two guys at the back. Uh, there are times that they go, oh, I wish you wouldn't have said that. You know, there are times that it just comes out, right? Jesus, did, uh, Peter didn't sit down and said, I can't wait to deny Jesus when they ask. And we, he just got caught in the wrong place, in the wrong situation. He was not on his guard. He wasn't there when Jesus counted on him. And guess what? He finds himself just responding. A woman, I don't know him. Now look at verse uh, uh, 58. Uh, it says a little later, someone else uh, who saw him said, You are also one of them. And then Peter replied, Man, I am not. Then look at verse 59. About an hour later, another asked, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter answered, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Okay, that's bad. But have you seen this? In this next verse, about that time, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine the brokenness in Peter's heart? 
I just did it. You ever been caught red-handed at something? You said one thing, said one thing, then you denied it and denied it and denied it, and then all of a sudden that person you were talking about shows up. You're like, yeah, I said that. I've been there. I've done that. You've been there. You've done that. And then look at it. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me not once, not twice, but three times, verse 52. And it went outside and he wept bitterly. Spiritual weakness. And when we come back next week, we're going to look at the same guys and their spiritual courage. We're going to look at others as well. But the point of this idea is if you have been weak in the past, that does not mean that Jesus cannot use you in the future because this isn't the end of Peter's story. This is really just the beginning because the next time he sees Jesus, Jesus is going to say, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep.